0: joshua chapter 4 as we're going through the book of joshua verse by verse here so everybody doing well having a good memorial day weekend so far doing well yeah all right i'm glad all five of you are doing well so. well it's great to see you this morning uh, we're glad that you're here And it's neat how the Lord has put this passage of Scripture together with uh, Memorial Day. Because you know if you come here for some time, we just continue through books of the Bible. But this really is the Memorial Day passage of the Bible. So it couldn't be more uh, timely. So let's pray together and get into it. Father, we thank you for your love for us and that you do want us to remember that to stop and, and think about the blessings that you poured upon us and the way that you've worked in our lives We thank you, God, for our country. Lord, we thank you for the men and women that have laid down their lives, that have died in acts of service, Lord, in order for us to enjoy freedom. And that's not a light thing. And we just pray, God, for those that have lost loved ones as they've served in the military, that you'd comfort them today and you'd comfort them this weekend. And as we open up your scripture, Father, we know that you have power or that there's power in your word that you spoke all things into existence and that you would touch hearts this morning. God, that you would do your work and have your way. Send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. A memorial is something that we set up, a structure that we we build to help us to remember an event or a group of people. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we do stop. We set one day aside in our country to remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice of laying down their life in our military service. And to help us remember, there has been memorials that have been built. Whether it's the Vietnam Wall, where we have the names of every person that has lost their life in serving in in that war, and it reminds us of them. Or if it's in Pearl Harbor, there with the USS Arizona, as Pearl Harbor was attacked, and that memorial helps us remember and tell future generations of what took place. Or it's the World War II uh, monument in Washington, D.C. that is, helps us remember, or Arlington Cemetery. The list goes on and on. And for us to stop and realize that's a father, that's a mother, that's a son, that's a daughter, that's a cousin, that's a niece, a nephew that didn't come home because they laid down our life for our country and for us to stop and be appreciative. And if we're not careful, it can just be another day off of work. It can be a good reason to have a barbecue. But as we do stop and have that barbecue, to remember someone laid down their life for me to enjoy this freedom. When we come to Joshua chapter four, we find this great military general, Joshua. Some have said he's some of the greatest generals of all of history. He's 100% warrior, But he's also 100% Christian. He's 100% sold out for God. And he's fighting his biggest battle in Joshua 4. You're like, no, I read ahead and there's no battle in Joshua 4. What's the war that he's facing in Joshua 4? It is the battle of forgetfulness. It's the war of lost memories. Even though such an amazing event has taken place where the Jordan River has been stopped over time that will drift to the back of their minds and future generations will not even know of how they got into the promised land. So with so many things to do, so many wars to be fought, God says, time out. I want you to build a memorial. I want you to take 12 stones from inside of the Jordan River so that you can remember the great works of God. The living God is in your midst. A quick review in the book of Joshua, we find first that Moses has died. Their great leader, their patriarch. A generation has passed away in the wilderness. Hey, there just went a slide. There, nope, I'm back right there. So that caught my attention. Did uh, it get your attention? So, squirrel. <laughs> so this generation has passed away in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They didn't believe that God was big enough to lead them into the promised land. So God raises up a new leader, Joshua. And Joshua is commissioned by God to be strong and courageous, to meditate upon God's word day and night. Then he sends spies into the promised land. Two spies into Jericho. They encounter Rahab. And Rahab's heart has been prepared to embrace the one living God. She gives news to these two spies that their hearts are defeated. They declare this testimony to Joshua and the multitude of Israel. God encourages them. If you're with us in chapter 3, you know that they went into the promised land. The priests stepped into the Jordan River. God cut off the waters of the Jordan, caused it to be a great heap, and they crossed over. And that's where we pick up in chapter four is really these events continuing to unfold because the priests are still in the middle of the Jordan River carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Verse one, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, when everyone's across, then God speaks to Joshua. God gives us instruction one step at a time. And that can be frustrating a lot of times, can't it? God says, this is what I want you to do, A. We go, well, what about B, C, and D, and all the way through? And the Lord says, you trust me, you take step A, and then I'll give you step B. We have to be obedient to one step of faith at a time. Just take that step and trust. A lot of times I want to know, God, what do you have for the next 10 years? And if he showed me, I'd probably argue with him. I don't know about that. That's not quite the way I have things planned. So God speaks to Joshua on what he's to do next. So here's the instruction. Take for yourself 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe. We know from chapter 3 that these 12 men have already been appointed. One from each tribe. The tribes are the 12 sons of Jacob. And command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here. And out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. I wonder at this point if they're going, oh no, we picked the wrong guy. Because they picked the guys before the assignment was given and going, oh no, they've got to go get stones. We picked the skinny guy from our tribe. We needed the buff guy from our tribe. Now, follow me on this, because these guys are men, and men want to get the biggest rock. I mean, it's just innate in us. If I was there, and I had to go get a rock, and it was going to be a memorial for future generations, I would try to get the biggest possible, even though, no doubt, I would be the skinniest guy, (laughs) and put it up on my back if I had to, and carry this thing to build this memorial. So I'm sure there's some of that friendly competition of which tribe can have the biggest rock Notice as we look here, God gives some specific instructions. The place that they're to get the rocks is where the priests stood firm. It's mentioned three times in just two chapters. and Jewish literature and Hebrew writing, which the Old Testament is, if something's mentioned three times, it's for us to not miss it. Pay attention to this. This is important for us. And the Jewish readers of the scriptures would understand that. God is commemorating the faithfulness of the priests. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. And they stood firm in the midst of the Ark while it took many hours for the whole congregation of Israel to cross the Jordan. Also, I think that this points to Jesus Christ. And as we study the Old Testament, we always have to look for Jesus in the Old Testament. Pictures of Jesus. Because Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was walking on the road to Emmaus. And unbeknownst to two of his disciples, he begins to give this sermon, this message, just as they were walking. I would have loved to have the MP3 or the download of this message, the YouTube version. Because Jesus went through the Old Testament and said, right here, this points to me. Right here, this points to me. Right here, this points to me. It's all leading to Jesus Christ because Jesus is the ultimate high priest that bears the presence of God, that brings the presence of God into our lives. And where did Jesus stand firm? He stood firm on the cross, didn't he? And died there for our sins and suffered. And it's at the foot of the cross that is our greatest memorial. Jesus actually gave us a memorial, something that we're to do to help us remember so we don't have forgetfulness, spiritual amnesia. He says, I want you to take communion. Do this in remembrance of me. This bread represents my broken body. I love you. I died for you. I died so that you could be made whole, was broken. And then the cup represents his blood that was shed for our forgiveness. At each time that we lift the cup, he's the lifter of our head, that I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So our memorial, our greatest memorial, is found at the foot of Jesus, just like their memorial is found at the feet of the high priest, these rocks. Continuing on in verse 4, Then Joshua called the twelve men who had been appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And we'll talk about this more at the end of the chapter, that the purpose of these 12 stones would be so that the children would be intrigued, they'd ask questions, and it would be a way to pass on the spiritual heritage. And these 12 stones that are piled up, they point to the fact that we're living stones. Remember reading that in Peter? We studied first and 2 Peter. We are living stones that make up the holy habitation of God. This represents the unity that the 12 tribes have in the promised land. As we're being fit together, it's not always comfortable, right? Like in the Old Testament, it says iron sharpens irons. So friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. We love to quote that verse, you know, about friendship. But guess what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly. That's what happens. It's not this comfortable verse, you know, iron sharpens iron. You're my best friend, you know. God has a way of knocking the rough edges off of each other as we are involved in true friendship and fellowship. But God's doing a work to put us together, to knit us together, to form us Together, We look at the willingness of these 12 men, the willingness of Israel, and the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. The 12 men didn't go, I didn't know that this is what I was going to have to do. This is crazy. I need to go pick up these stones. No, Joshua, you're stoned. You know, you're out of your mind. Forget this. I mean, think about this this morning. We know as we put together the the geography that they had to carry the stones on their shoulders to Gilgal, where they would lodge. It was about an eight-mile journey. What if we said, all right, happy Memorial Day. After church here, we're going to get some stones as big as we possibly can, 12 guys, and we're going to march up Academy to I-25 to somewhere around In Request or Northgate. gate uh, that's not what I quite had in mind for my Memorial Day weekend. Not what, not what I would like to do. But the 12 guys were all in, and the children of Israel were all in. Nobody's going. This doesn't make any sense. We're really vulnerable here. We're in enemy territory. Remember, these aren't like fairy stories. You know, just. Cute fairy tales for us. They are in enemy territory and they're taking this time to build this memorial. And I'm so thankful at our church at Rocky Mountain Calvary that there's so many that are into the work of God and what God is doing here and are willing to make sacrifice to be able to to serve in different ways and different capacities. And as God leads us as a church family, so many are saying, I'm in, I'm into what the Lord has for me and the call that he's placed upon my life verse 9, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan and the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to this day. There's actually a second set of rocks. And if you don't read this carefully, we can miss this. Another set of rocks. Joshua does this right in the center of the Jordan where the priests stood firm. Why would he do this? Because once the water is released by the hand of God, you won't be able to see these rocks. They're going to be covered underneath the water. So what's the point? How about this? When there's a drought, all of a sudden you see this pile of rocks that remind us of God's faithfulness. And that's an important time to remember God's faithfulness, isn't it? In time of drought. Maybe this morning you're in a drought, and you're wiped out, you're burnt out, It took everything that you had inside of you to come to church this morning. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, relationally. It's like this giant mud pie of trial that you're going through. Is look at God's faithfulness. Look at what he's done in your life. Remember that faithfulness. Not for the sake of looking back and going, those are the good old days. But going, God got me through this. I know he's going to get me through what I'm going through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, God's delivered us from such a great a death. We have confidence that he'll continue to deliver us. He's delivered us from our sins. We know he's going to be faithful to deliver us through the trials that we go through. In verse 10, So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, And the people hurried and crossed over. Faithful priests standing there with the Ark of the Covenant, representing God's presence. They continued to stand firm until everything was accomplished. And the people are hurrying across the Jordan. Now, why are they hurrying? It could be because there's this giant heap of water, and they're going, I sure hope that God continues to hold back the water. What if he decides, okay, and I'm standing right there? The other reason that they may be hurrying is because they see the priests that are standing there with the Ark of the Covenant and they're going, those poor guys, they've got to be tired. Come on, let's get through. So they're hurrying past. What an amazing event this was for the children of Israel. We don't have a great appreciation for the Ark of the Covenant and how it was revered as the presence of God. The high priest could only go into the presence of God one day a year at the day of atonement, now the presence of God is going before them into the Jordan. Is standing in their midst. They would walk by the ark, walk by the presence of God. And the presence of God stays there until they cross over, and God's presence goes behind them. Isn't that a wonderful understanding of God's presence? That God goes before you, church. He stands with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And then he comes behind you. He's your rear guard. He's your protection. And he's there for you in a in a great, great way. Verse 11, Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. These two and a half tribes, if you remember, wanted to dwell on the east side of the Jordan. They didn't want to dwell in the promised land and what God had for them. Moses entered into a contract with them that that's okay, they could could do that as long as when it came time to come into the land that they would fight with the other tribes. So here they're fulfilling their commitment. They're entering into the land prepared to fight. In verse 13, about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. They respected him. Joshua was lifted up by God as a leader. The reason that Joshua was exalted is so that they would understand God is with Joshua, not for Joshua's glory or fanfare or any of those kinds of things. Moses was exalted as a leader where? The Red Sea, the last time that God parted a body of water. And now here Joshua, their new leader, is exalted at another parting of water. As you look at this verse, do you see any foreshadowing of Jesus? Consider it for just a moment. Maybe look down at it real quick. Do you see a foreshadowing of Jesus? The greater than Joshua, the ultimate Joshua, Jesus, who brings us into God's promises, was exalted where? At the Jordan, at his baptism. There's very few events that are recorded in all four Gospels. But Christ's baptism is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus comes to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is struggling. How can he baptize the Messiah, God, in human flesh? And he's saying, I'm not worthy to do this. Jesus expresses, no, we need to do this so that all things might be fulfilled. John knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. It was going to take away the sins of the world. As Jesus was baptized, as he goes under the water in the Jordan, it's the same region just outside of Jericho. So where Israel crossed into the promised land is the same spot that Jesus was baptized. Jesus was not baptized identifying that he was a sinner. He was being baptized identifying with the Father's call upon his life. He was submitting himself to the call of the Father. And as he comes up out of the water of baptism, out of the Jordan, Jesus is exalted. The heavens parted. So for Joshua, the water parts, but for Jesus, the heavens part, and the Father speaks. And he says, this is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. Not a dove, but, but like a dove. In the law, it says that Without two or three witnesses, nothing is established. We have the two greatest witnesses, the Father and the Spirit, testifying this is the Son, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three but yet one. How Jesus was exalted in the Jordan, much more so than Joshua was exalted in the Jordan. Church, doesn't this just make you want to worship and go, God, you're awesome? You know, here we are reading Joshua chapter 4. And it's all pointing to Jesus Christ and him fulfilling the plan of salvation. In verse 16, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Small change in phrase here. We've read ark of the covenant, but now we read ark of the testimony. Because God's covenant is his testimony. Maybe you're saying, I really don't understand covenant. A covenant is a contract, it's a a commitment. It meant so much in the ancient world to fulfill your covenant. So God has these contracts with men. And in the Old Testament, his contract was through the law, through the sacrifices that were made. And now his contract with men is through the blood of Jesus the new covenant the new contract that god brings to us and the blood of jesus is the testimony of god so the ark of the testimony the ark of the covenant the covenant of god is the testimony of god so now it's time for the priest to come out of the jordan joshua therefore commanded the priests saying come up from the jordan and it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the lord had come from the midst of the jordan and the soles of the priests feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. This is radical. Imagine these four priests, you know? They're like, okay, we got to take this first step. We've got to take the step of faith. They step in and God cuts off the water. And now it's time for them to go out and they step onto the other side of the Jordan, the banks and all the water comes back in. And in meditating and thinking about this chapter, it really hit me that God closes the door and the opportunity for them to exit God's calling upon their nation. Think about it. They're now in the promised land. And what if they decide, I don't like this. I don't like all of these battles. I don't like all of these wars and the, these conflicts. And the land came with a great blessing, but there were also great battles. What are they going to do? They can't go back out of the land without God doing something with the Jordan again and God's not going to do that. And that's what the God has for us as well. When he calls us to something, he often shuts the door of exit, doesn't he? He doesn't want us to flee what he's called us to, and we all have those times of struggle. Don't misunderstand the promised land's not heaven because there continues to be battles and there continues to be failures and sin. And inside of what God calls us to, there's going to be times where it's challenging was talking with a missionary this week and talking about how difficult it is to live in another culture. And he was saying it doesn't matter how much closer you get to Christ and how spiritual you are and how much more of his word you know, it's still challenging. It's still a sacrifice. And inside the call of God, there's going to be that sacrifice. So maybe God's called you into a marriage. You're, you're married. You've made that covenant before God in your marriage. Guess what? Guess what? you need to allow the Jordan to be flooded back in and stop entertaining the idea of exiting your marriage. My mom would always say, once you get married, you wallpaper the door closed inside of your your marriage. And I would like to take that illustration a little further. You probably want to get out two by fours and put studs and maybe even concrete in that exit. But the idea is here, this is a commitment for life was on a plane flight this week and the guy sitting across from me decided to have a little bit too much to to drink. And so he got real talkative and he was real loud on this flight. And so he's having this conversation with me and the whole plane was listening to our conversation. And he looks at my wedding ring, you know, and starts talking. He's 26 years old about how marriage in his mind is basically like the end of all things because you have to be faithful to the person that you're married. Like this is the last person you're going to have have sex with. And the world's really distorted the view of marriage, huh? There's some kind of moratorium that's just this terrible thing. But God knows inside of a lifelong commitment between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, that a relationship can really flourish. And you could just see his life being destroyed by all these different sinful relationships uh, that, that he uh, was in. And so... Let's pray for him. You know, all of our church, let's pray for him. Got to share Christ with him. And let's pray that the Lord just does a work in his soul and in his life. So maybe it is your marriage. Stay committed in it. Maybe with your kids, stay committed in it. You've got a friend that you're reaching out to in your neighborhood. Man, stay committed to it. It's not always easy. You've got a family member that the Lord's burdened you with. You know you're called to be salt and light in their life. Stick with it. God floods the Jordan. There's no turning back at this point. Don't look back, look forward. Verse 19, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Sometimes we just got to put ourselves into this story. Because for the children of Israel, like they've been waiting for this for a long, long time. 400 years God's promised to give this land to them. Can you imagine the generations in Egypt? What are we doing here being slaves? I thought we were God's chosen people. Why don't we have our own land? And the parents expressing to their kids, someday God's going to give us Canaan. And now this is the first day and night in the promised land, the 10th day of the last month. This is kind of how we look forward to the rapture of the church, when God's going to catch up the church without us dying and We go right up to be with the Lord. Whoever gets to be that chosen generation, they're probably going to be up in heaven going, whew, we got raptured, yeah? You know? I often think sometimes, what if we got raptured during one of the services at church? Like, if it happened at the 11 o'clock service, we'd be telling the 9 o'clock service, you missed out, you know? Should have come to the 11 o'clock service. And if it did happen at the nine o'clock service, you know what they'd be telling us: you slept in and you missed it. You should have come to the, you know, the nine o'clock. For the, these people, man, they've been waiting for this, and now they're entered into God's presence, and they're stoked, and they're blessed, and they're excited. And imagine the conversations. The tenth day of the first month also biblically is a huge day. God didn't just pick some random day; He picked the tenth day of the first month, and it's recorded for us in Scripture you may want to write down Exodus 12 verse 3 because there we find the first Passover and which there were to do yearly. The Passover was the last plague that resulted in their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. And on the 10th day of the first month, they were to pick out the lamb for the sacrifice to identify the lamb. Then on the 14th day, they were to sacrifice the lamb, put the blood of the lamb on their door. And then judgment, death would pass over their house. So as they come into the promised land on the first month of the 10th day, they would be remembering God's deliverance. This is the day that we pick out the lamb for the sacrifice. If you want to read ahead to Joshua 5, you're going to see that they celebrate the Passover for the first time in the promised land. Also, as we look forward... To the ultimate Passover sacrifice, each lamb pointed to Jesus. Jesus, when he's applied to the door of our hearts, then judgment passes over, his sacrifice for our sin. Jesus died on Passover. He's crucified on Passover. And if you go back and you look at when was his triumphal entry, it's the 10th day of the first month. When he rode into Jerusalem, he was identified as the lamb of God very publicly and as the lamb would be in the house for four days jesus was in the house for four days he's in jerusalem and in the temple being inspected and being found that he was without blemish isn't that amazing it's wonderful to see how christ is the identified lamb verse 20 and those 12 stones which they took out of the jordan joshua set up in gilgal gilgal becomes the hub of their military operation then he spoke to the children of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. Notice, ask their fathers. The fathers were the ones to then pass on the spiritual heritage to the children. Notice also, they crossed over on dry land. God stopped the water. But then also, he dried the land. So they're not walking across in a mud puddle, any of those kind of things. God just got out his giant hair dryer and did it. Have you guys used those, like, hand hair dryers in some of the restaurants now? What, what, what company makes those hand hair dryers? They also make vacuum cleaners. Dyson, yeah. So God just got a big Dyson and went... And it was dry, and they walked across dry land. And the kids were supposed to know that and understand that. In verse twenty-three, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over, as your Lord God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed over. So the kids are hanging out with their dads. The dads are involved in the lives of their kids, and they go to Gilgal, and they're what's the stack of rocks here? got this stack of rocks here. Dad, what's the deal here? Never seen something like this before. Oh, these rocks are to help us remember when God did this amazing thing at the Jordan River and we came across on dry land. We are living in our country with an epidemic of fatherless generations. One out of three Kids born in America will be born out of wedlock this year in our country. One out of three, 33%. And if you'll notice, specifically in Scripture, it was the fathers that were to pass this on to their children the father's job and the father's responsibility. In the 1990s, the kids that were born throughout the 90s, that decade, 60% of kids will go through a significant period of their childhood with no contact with their natural father what were things like in 1960 i don't know i wasn't born (laughs) i just had to slip that in there but in 1960 five percent of kids were born out of wedlock that's over a 600 percent increase in just 50 year period of time this week i had a chance to go to detroit michigan and as you know it's a city that's completely being tore up and there's a couple from our church named John and Elise that felt called there. And so they moved into the inner city. It's this place called Hamtramck to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. John got a job. Elise got a job. You know that that's a calling. Nobody goes and just decides, hey, I'm going to take a job in the inner city of, of Detroit. But they're there to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. So a few of us went to visit them and encourage them, see what God's doing There in Detroit, and how our church could maybe plug in and begin to reach out there in Detroit as well, maybe possibly in the future doing short-term missions trips and just trying to explore all that God has. And this is what I saw firsthand: is the effects of fatherless generation. In the inner city of Detroit, 80% of kids are fatherless. 80%. So if we had ten kids up here on the stage this morning eight of them would not have contact with their father. It's mind-blowing. And the city is absolutely crazy insanity. The three most dangerous zip codes in the country are in the inner city of Detroit. One, two, and three. If you live in those zip codes, you have one in seven odds that a violent crime, not robbery or graffiti or anything like that, but a, a violent crime is going to be committed Against you in just a 12 month period of time, you'll be assaulted. And my heart just began to cry out, especially for the fathers. And though there is great destruction and and disaster to the point where houses are being burned down just because people are looking for stuff to do, they call it the devil's night on Halloween. They go out and burn houses, but it doesn't just happen on Halloween. Houses bulldozed down. Boarded up, vacant, you can buy a house there in Detroit for $5,000 easy, $2,000 easy. So you'll have a burned down house, a vacant lot, a boarded up house, and then a family that's living and a house that's occupied. Church, it literally looks like a war zone when you go into the inner city of Detroit. Even though it's that bad, I also saw the potential because guess what? God's the God of the fatherless. His heart cries out for the fatherless. And he wants to do a great work there. And we met a lot of really neat believers that have been called there that are beginning to do a work. So it challenged me in that way. But it also challenged me for our church. For our church. And specifically, allow me to speak to the men and specifically to the fathers. Notice that it didn't say that the fathers were to direct their children to the priests. And the priests would then declare the spiritual heritage. Fathers, it's not the church's job to disciple our kids. It's our responsibility first as dads. And take this passage of scripture and take it to heart and say, you know what, I'm going to remember what God has done in my life. And I'm going to make sure that my kids know that story. I'm going to be involved in their life. I'm going to fight for them in prayer. I'm going to protect them and allow the Lord to do a work in and through their lives we've got to step up. In, in our church, right here, right now, if you're a dad, it is your job to be that spiritual leader of your children. And maybe your kids aren't in your life a whole lot. Maybe there's a lot of pain and a lot of things have already happened. You know, you fight to be in their life. You do it as ever possible. If you get them two weekends a month, then you take advantage of those two weekends a month. Do what you can to be involved in their life. Dads, if you're blessed to be part of your kids' life on a daily basis, take the most of it and share what God's doing in your life and the things that God has taught you and say, you know what, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to fight for this child. I'm going to be there for them. Because nobody else is. Nobody else is fighting for your kids and rising up in that place and be that spiritual leader. And for those of you that are single, single men, man, don't you be fathering kids outside of marriage. You're taking advantage of some gal that's not your wife and God sees and you're fathering a child and you had no intent of being a dad. Newsflash, sex results in kids. So if you're gonna have sex, you better be ready to be a dad. And you should be married to that woman. You should honor her and honor God. You should marry her before you sleep with her and stand up. You're a man of God and don't act like the world. There's nothing honorable in that. For those of us that are married, guess what? Where are we supposed to be fathering children? Only inside of our marriage. So don't be fathering any kids outside of your marriage, because then you've just contributed to what is going on. God wants to do a work amongst the men inside of this church, because I saw firsthand what a city looks like when there's no men to be spiritual leaders. And guys... We should be spiritual leaders also inside of this church To step up and say i'm going to serve inside of my church And we kind of have this deal going on and the lord bless you ladies And the ladies that step up throughout the church in america and say we're going to be counted for and we're going to serve inside of the church And men see their role as i'm going to be a provider And that's it. We need to be providers But that's not all We need to be out there working and providing and supporting, but we also need to be spiritual leaders. Guys, men, I'm speaking to you. Whether you're married or you're not, would you be willing to be a servant leader inside of this church? Because at least one out of three kids that walk through these doors of this church aren't going to be in relationship with their father. And guess what? God wants to do work, He's a father to the fatherless. And so, as we men step up and say, I'm going to be a servant leader put me on the list. I'm going to grab a volunteer application and I'm going to serve and teach in Sunday school because I want to pass on this spiritual legacy to another generation. And it really can be done if we'll respond. But also it identifies a point of pain, doesn't it? Because some of you single moms are, are sitting here and you're going, you know what? My child is fatherless. What do I do now? Take great hope because the heavenly father can stand in the gap. We find with Timothy, where did he find his faith? Through his mom and his grandma. And God will intervene and be faithful in your life. Maybe you do have also in your life, you're going, you know, my dad wasn't there for me. Guess what? You have a heavenly father who's there for you. And you may be focusing on the wrong father. And it's time to put your eyes on the heavenly father and realize That he's going to be all that you need and be your sufficiency inside of your life. The last verse in verse 24, Then all of the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it's mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So as the fathers tell the children, then the world knows. Then the world knows about this event that took place. That God's mighty and he's to be respected and he is to be feared. And we think about all the places that our children may take the gospel of Jesus Christ as we share with them the wonderful works of God. What have we seen this morning? Wonderful pictures of Jesus. Jesus is the high priest standing firm. Our ultimate memorials at the foot of the cross in communion. Jesus is exalted in the Jordan. Jesus is the lamb that's identified on the 10th day of the first month. So we want to remember what God has done and build a memorial. get creative. Is there something that represents God's faithfulness in your life that was a Jordan type experience? Maybe it's a date or a month of a year you remember when God got a hold of your life. Go ahead and frame that date and put it up there in your kitchen and your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your neighbors, whoever comes in your house go. what's up with that date? Well, let me tell you, this is what God did in my life. Maybe it's your college diploma from a different perspective, that it was during college that God did amazing things in your life. And you can say, yeah, I got a degree from this place, but let me tell you all the things that happened. This is the place where I met your mom. This is when God got a hold of my life. This is when he provided for me. I graduated when I shouldn't have graduated. All all those kinds of stories. It's an opportunity to, to be able to share. Maybe you've been in the hospital and you almost died, and God saved your life save your life and you still have the bracelet from when you were admitted in the hospital and it's in some drawer get it out and frame it and hang it up in your house you're saying well wait a second it doesn't really go with the rest of the decor in the house well make it cute you know make it look as much get a nice frame ladies and hang it, hang it on up there then your kids are going to go hey what in the world's that maybe you can't really go back and grab something from that time from that point in that period Get yourself a rock, you know? Just set a rock right in the family room because it's going to give you an opportunity to tell. I guarantee you people will walk in and they go, why you got that ugly rock in your house, you know? Our church offices are right up here. And on a filing cabinet, there's, there is a big kind of ugly rock that's sitting there. And I'm a great man of detail. So after three years, I finally noticed it. <laughs> And a few months back, I, I asked, what's, what's the deal with this rock? And nobody knows on the whole entire staff. It's just there. <laughs> but none of us, you've got the guts to take the rock and go throw it in the dumpster. But everybody that walks by goes, what in the world's going on with the rock? And so you get something that's going to remind you, that's going to trigger those memories to be able to share it with someone else. And this is where I encourage us to do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Find a memorial and put it up in your house to give that opportunity to tell your children and tell others. A wonderful picture of Christ, build a memorial and tell others. Let's stand and let's pray together.